and welcome to another episode of Unhinged History, the podcast where two friends who compulsively read things on the internet all week long about crazy history stories come together and tell each other the stories that they've been compulsively learning about and info dump on a friend. Oh, I love a good info dump. Right? I support this. I'm Teresa. I'm Angie. And I wait (laughs) for her to take a big (laughs) swig of whatever electrolyte-filled drink she's drinking. It's not the blue colored, so it doesn't count. And Um, It's just sugar-free. It's boring. I mean, look at us making these decisions for our bodies. Like, (laughs) Who do we think we are? (laughs) Look, I mean, if this had been 150 years ago, we'd be approaching death. That's true. You know, we would be at the end of our lives. I'm truly hoping I'm only at the quarter mark of mine because I've got things to do. You know, here's the deal, right? I'm here for a good time, not a long time. This is a playground and not a temple. Let us treat it as such. (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard that phrase in that reference, and I am here for it. I think I cobbled together a bunch of random things to get there, so... That's really what I'm going with. Yeah, I mean, you did great because it was nothing like, you know, our friend from the Boondock Saints who mixes his idioms like uh, glass houses sink ships. You know, Yours it's called sense. a malaphor. A malaphor right. is when you combine those. And my favorite malaphor that I've ever heard is we'll burn that bridge when we get there. I love that one. Uh, because honestly, let's do it. I mean, <laughs> look, yeah. I mean, it, the burn the bridge when we get there, it just... I think that that should be the title of my autobiography. I'll write the um, little insert. The foreword? Yeah. <laughs> It'll be great. That'd be my, that'd make a lot more sense than you writing the dedication. <laughs> Although that would be hilarious. <laughs> Look, Teresa wrote this book and she dedicates it to me. I <laughs> dedicate this book to me, actually. Ah, I'll, I'll include the thank yous in there as well. Yeah. The... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Teresa thanks me and um, I thank her editor because that makes me look good and everything points back to me and you always have to thank the editor you do you really do in fact I'm excited for my autobiography you know I I'm don't... excited for your autobiography and for today I purposefully did such a light-hearted romp this one um, did you? I did so that I wouldn't force you to um, cover my lack, take the dirty, awful tastes out of my mouth. Like I decided to be very lighthearted, jovial, devil may care even. Wow. I know. Are you feeling okay? You know, who knows? It could be that I got <laughs> into the last of the Halloween stash. Um, oh, yeah, that'll do it. It could just be a sugar high, you know? This episode has been brought to you by high blood sugar levels and Reese's peanut butter cups. You know, it makes great work. Stay in your lane and all that. <laughs> <laughs> the stay in your lane bit. That's that's what's getting me. <laughs> it's my favorite phrase. Mm. That one and what what our family's one of our all time favorite phrases: "Stay in your own pond, Bucko." Which is you... something we really well. I wasn't there to experience it, but a very dear friend of mine was hunting and was going out to to find his spot and heard from the bushes rustling another hunter yell stay in your own pond bucko <laughs> and that's been a favorite phrase of mine ever since 
as it should be. <laughs> well earned. So since I'm not bringing a buzzkill um, and you very rarely come close to it. <laughs> I mean, I think that means you go first because I went first last time. Okay. I mean, because honestly, I I just I bring the pain, unfortunately, and I'm not bringing it this time. Well, I'm. Listen, I'm excited. Okay, I don't think I'm bringing anything painful, but um, I mean, parts of it are darker. So yeah, I guess you can make me the uh, martyr. Okay, <laughs> all right. Or maybe you're the martyr this time. N- no, this is a weird. Let's just let's just abandon this and carry on. What carry on? What story are you telling us? I'm going to tell you the story about the great balloon escape. Oh, okay. So this one was one of the stories that you and I practiced getting our audio together and then realized the audio wasn't good and had to abandon it. And so we had to, this is like one of the forgotten episodes, right? Yes. But here's the thing. For whatever reason, I just realized I don't have my sources to cite right now. They're not on my notes. You know, um, (laughs) this checks for you. Doesn't it? But I have sources every time, so. I mean, I'm okay with you moving forward on this, knowing that it was researched and knowing that many of the podcasts that I listen to don't cite them. And so. Okay. Well, please know that I do have sources. I just lost them. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to tell you the story of the great balloon escape. Uh, I would like you to take a second to um, drudge up some Sophia from the Golden Girls. You know, picture it. The German block, 1978. Are you hearing this in Sophia's voice? I mean, I think we we uncovered this in a previous episode that I have not gotten around to my Golden Girls. Oh, yes, yeah, right. You're not in your Golden Girls era. And I recognize that this is this is not something that I should be proud of because this is Americana. It truly is. And it's it an truly excuse to watch is. Betty White. And I haven't I haven't gone around to it. And it at Betty White's finest as well. So um anyway, so that you ruined that. Okay. <laughs> so the German block, 1978, it's not a happy place. It's dark, it's dreary, it's full of communism. Anyway, a fella named Peter Strelzik is an electrician, and he's a former mechanic. And he has a friend called Gunter Wenzel, who happens to be a bricklayer. Incidentally, they both work together at a plastics factory. It's funny to me that we know what their actual, like, skills were, but that they worked together at a plastic factory that has nothing to do with either of their skill sets. You know, look at anybody who's gone to college and just be like, so... What was your major? I mean, how long? I mean, I'm assuming you you have some kind of business degree because you've been in marketing for 15 years. And they're like, anthropology. Yep. Yeah. It's This is exactly that. Yeah. Uh, I study uh, crocheting. Um, underwater basket weaving. <laughs> I love underwater basket weaving. <laughs> so... These two guys, they're kind of looking, you know, they're they're on the eastern side of the German block and it's it's like I said, it's dark, it's dreary, it's not happy. And they're kind of trying to finagle a way to escape. Um, now, mind you, both of these gentlemen have wives and children. So this escape plan that they're trying to hatch together has to be able to accommodate 
all of them, right? So they go through a few different ideas, and they all prove way too hard to acquire the parts needed for whatever that scheme of the day was. Um, so then they come up. Scheme of the which, day. You make it sound like this is Bob's Burgers, and they have the burgers of the day. I really feel like it probably was. Like, mm, option A, let's try this. Mm, option B, mm, no, we don't have the ketchup for that. Wendell's um, wife is just Linda. <laughs> All right. Come on, guys. Okay, yeah. Let's go with it. That's how I'm going to see it now. Um, so th- the idea that they come up with the- that is the least um, difficult, which I find to be absolutely insane, is to build a hot air balloon. This makes me wonder what the previous three were. You know, I, how did we arrive there? Yeah, I'm going to assume tunneling was an option uh, because uh, to to me a hot air balloon seems like the last like that would have never been in my uh sphere of ideas. So I know we're in the German block, but like how far? I'm actually going to get to that here in just a few minutes. Okay. So I I promise you you'll 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 hear about it. Um so there are sources that say Wenstel's sister had escaped the block earlier, like some years earlier, and came to visit. And when she visited, she brought a Western newspaper. And in that newspaper was an article about the, um, you know, the big balloon festival in, Albu- in Albuquerque. Oh, okay. So there is some belief that that's where they got the idea from. Um, I that is not corroborated, but that's what they think was the case. So anyway, they begin collecting the info and the materials needed to build a balloon, and they go all over the nearby towns to buy enough fabric. P.S. Can I just say that this is why public libraries are such an incredible resource? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I mean, where else can you go to learn the most obscure things pre-internet? The the public library and your weird granddad so there's that um they don't know though what fabric to use yet but they tell the merchants regardless that they are (laughs) they are part of a camping club and they need all this fabric to build tents okay so it takes several weeks to sew the balloons and build a gondola then it's time for the first test flight it fails I the like balloon how, doesn't inflate. How big are they doing life size? They can't be doing life size. Are they um, doing enough for big enough for a Barbie doll? Like, what are we playing with? Okay, so the first flight was, to my the way that I understand it, the first flight was it was a test flight, but it was designed to be exactly what they were shooting for, like not Barbie doll off the roof with a plastic bag type thing. But I would like to think that they started smaller like that, at least to some degree. But this this flight was. Flight I number mean, one, let's see if it works. Right. I mean, because I'm thinking about it as just testing anything. Like, you know, you start with the minimal, you know, like you started with your prototype and you're like, okay, well, this is the thing. So this is the dog is a 20th of the scale of, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm not, a, but I mean. I think so. I think in most cases that would be the case. But let's remember that in, in this particular situation, they are stuck inside the heavily mandated and restricted eastern block so i i think that the effort to get supplies for them was we have to we have to use as little as possible 
And so the idea of multiple, like, smaller size prototypes doesn't really work for them. I, I would be the, the very hesitant wife going, okay, but if we're not going to try floating the cat across the living room, why <laughs> should we put the baby in there? I mean, the visual you just gave me is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but also you want out of the Eastern Bloc. So there's that. Um, so, like I said, the balloon fails. It doesn't inflate the first time. So they then try to suspend the balloon and it does inflate, but it doesn't work either. The cotton material that they used is too porous and it leaks like a sieve. So they take it home and they burn everything. I mean, that's better than everybody has matching pajamas. Because <laughs> you don't you don't throw out the material. <laughs> that's that's true, but now I have this image of them all wearing matching cotton pajamas and the balloon being made out of like dinosaur patterns. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Um at, this is the point with which they begin testing other materials for heat resistance and leaks. So in this case, they are getting smaller, like like um i'm imagining i don't know if this is accurate but i'm imagining like the scrap size to see how it's going to handle heat how it's going to handle the leakage and they decide that taffeta is going to be the jam because it's what they can afford and it works as good as can be expected this time <laughs> when they all go over to the place where they're buying and collecting the taffeta, they say that they are part of a boating or sailing club and they need it for sail making. And I think that's hysterical. A I week mean, or so later, the right? best lies are based in truth. I mean, that's true. Yeah, it's Come a sailing sail away. club. <laughs> Come sail away. Yeah, right. Um, a week or so later, the next balloon is ready, but there's still some some tinkering to be done with the burner system. Months go by as they go back and forth with ideas till Wenzel decides to give up on a balloon and instead builds a light airplane or glider. But in June of 1979, Strelzik discovers that if propane tanks are inverted, it creates additional pressure resulting in a bigger flame and he has mounted several to the gondola. Okay. And you know these experiments took place around the, the dining room table. Oh, I'm sure, right? So July 3rd, 1979, Strelzik and his family load up. It's about 1.30 in the morning. They The balloon lifted and carried him and his family within 600 feet of the border before it hit a cloud. Can I, can I also just mention that we're expecting two families that have children. Mm -hmm. and, and small the, children, yeah. The children to keep their mouth shut. I'm assuming I mean, bribery. I, I don't, I mean, lies, threats, and bribery, you know, are fun, the trifecta. But I, I remember being a little girl living in Japan, my parents growing pot plants, pot plants in the closets and being told not to tell anybody about the plants in the closet. And yeah. those words were burning a hole in my pocket. Yeah, you had to tell somebody about the plants in the pocket. <laughs> you know, it, but it was just like, so I'm imagining like, hey, we don't tell... We don't tell the kindergarten teacher about how daddy plays with flames at, at the dining at all. table. He's not a sorcerer. Mm -mm. So the balloon does lift them and it carries him and his family within 600 feet 
of the border before, like I said, it hits a cloud and the water vapor causes the balloon to fall again. Fortunately, they're all safe. However, they have to trudge through 1,600 feet of border zone with mines and all sorts of other dangers lurking around. It takes them about nine hours to do that. How old are the kids again? I'll get, I believe I have that later here in my notes. Um, I, but there are, like I said, it's two dads, the wives, and several children. So do keep that in mind. But at this particular instance, it's just one family that for attempt number one. Um, and now, here's the problem. If he'd succeeded, mm-hmm. Winslow's family ain't getting out. If that um, test had been like, oh, this was such a successful test. Whoopsie. Well, then, but I mean, you gotta keep in mind, though, Winslow's family, Winslow's working on an airplane at this time. So maybe he had other options. Okay. I mean, airplane I mean, or glider? Didn't you say glider? Well, an airplane type glider. Like that oh, was, okay. it was a combination of the two. So, like I said, it takes them nine hours to do this because they have to be unseen by the patrol. And then they have to hike back to their car that is almost nine miles away. And you know the kids are like, I'm tired. Can we get chicken nuggies? My feet hurt. He <laughs> breathed on Dora. me. <laughs> yep. The whole time. Mom's thinking about how she ended up in this situation. And dad's just regretting all of it. <laughs> But needless to say, they do make it home in time to call in sick and they go and it, the whole incident goes unnoticed by the officials. What do, you, what do you mean they got home in time to call in sick? For dad to call into the factory. Oh, okay. Right. Um, all the stuff, though, that they had is left behind and dad sells his car just in case. <laughs> Eventually... Someone does notice the balloon hanging in the forest, but he says nothing because he thought the forest was off limits and he wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> I mean, look, we've all been in that situation. It's like, look, uh, her pr- Julie's eyes were open during prayer. So were yours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so several days go by before it gets report- reported to the Stasi. And um, the Stasi is the state police, the state security uh the gestapo had 40,000 members over 80 million people in only 12 years while the stasi had 102,000 over 17 million for decades just for some comparison there um but you're after- comparing the stasi to who to the gestapo oh, okay okay um so just you know so you had that kind of in your mind that the stasi is massive right so after this close call the of the first attempt, the two fellows get back together and they make the balloon bigger. Fun fact. It took 3.7 miles of thread to sew this balloon. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, on September 15 of 1979, the right weather conditions presented itself and the families loaded up and drove to the launch site. It was 1.30 in the morning. It took 10 minutes to inflate the balloon and three more to heat the air. By 2 a.m., they were on their way with their wives and four children on board. So two, so four adults, four children. At takeoff, a portion of the balloon catches fire, but it was put out. 
They were in flight between 6,600 feet and 8,200 feet for almost 30 minutes, and it was roughly 18 degrees outside. So when you're talking about the kids being tired and hungry, can you imagine now we are tired, we are hungry, and it is 18 degrees outside? And you're just paranoid. And you're this floating isn't... at 8,000, between six and 8,000 feet. You can't, I'm assuming steering is not, and they haven't, they're not studying the wind currents to know that it blows at a southeast at something degrees. It, right. And the burner has to be relit several times throughout the flight because of a miscalculation on the length of the stovepipe, which caused the flame to be too high, creating too much plush pressure and splitting a portion of the balloon. So air rushes out and extinguishes the burner. Okay, so not only that, but imagine <laughs> this. You're, it is freezing cold. Mm -hmm. You are trying to get your little cold digits to actually do what you need them to do so that you don't plummet yeah. to your death. Meanwhile, your mama... Is, yeah, your wife is, is chewing yeah. you out. And little guy is like, but we ate all the goldfish. <laughs> the whole time, right? And My you know that's the was most right important. about you. She knew you were... I should have married the lawyer. Um, so air is rushing out, like I said, they, and it extinguishes the burner. But after those, those harrowing minutes, the propane runs out. Oh, oh Lord. Yeah. And I'm just imagining the descent from, from that. <laughs> um, but the balloon touches ground near Nalia in Bavaria. The only injury to be sustained was a broken leg to Wetzel. Two Bavarian state police find them and confirm their, which then confirms um, Strazik and Wenzel's opinion that they've made it because they are Bavarian state police. And um, you know, that's all you want. It's just like, please don't say we made it this far. Endured the hours of nagging to mm -hmm. only get busted now. 10 feet from the border, right? Um. So it is interesting to note the stark difference at this point that gave the East away from the West to the families that kind of helped them understand where they were. One, red and yellow lights were never seen in in Eastern Germany. Two, red and small, yellow lights. Like what does yeah, that like, what does that necessarily um, mean? Like stoplights and whatnot, or like stoplights, uh, car lights, things like that. It was just never something you saw on the Eastern side. Okay, nobody braked. It was just <laughs> gas. <laughs> Yeah, all Got the it. Um, small farms and not large state-run farming operations filled with, you know, your classic equipment and modern farm equipment. So they're like, we've got, we have to be on the, we have to be on the right side. Like these are independently owned and operated farms. They're actual farms and not these state-run massive operations. That's like, a John Deere tractor. It's not being pulled by three people who haven't eaten in a week. Yeah, right. So the family later learns that they had, quote, been high enough to be detected, but not identified on radar by the Western German air traffic, traffic controllers. So they were a UFO. <laughs> yeah they were um, the epitome of the unidentified flying object in fact um they had also been detected on the east german side by a night watchman at the district cultural house in bad lobenstein the report of an unidentified flying object heading toward the border caused guards to activate searchlights but the balloon was too high and out of reach for the lights 
and it was quiet. Oh, they had to be, they had to really think that that was E.T. phoning. Like losing their minds about it, right? Um, Now, the ramifications of these actions (laughs) led to East Germany to further increase their border security. They closed all small airports near the border, ordered all the planes moved and kept further in from the border. Propane tanks became products that you had to register. So, like, um, good luck throwing your next barbecue. Well, you just need a permit. Yeah. I mean, uh, proof you that get you get know. one. Right. Yeah. Um, you who can't buy large amounts of fabric anymore. And no along more matching with... <laughs> jammas for the family. Nope, not anymore. And along with all of this, you won't be getting mail from your East German family anytime soon. So, like, everything has been cut off. Eric Strelzik, Peter's brother, was arrested and charged with aiding and abetting the escape. Um, pretty sure. Like, no, no, they wouldn't even invite me. Like, I'm a film producer. They don't. They don't want me. I'm a talentless like, hack. According you, to yeah, them. No. Um, Strelzik's sister and brother-in-law were also arrested and sentenced to 2.5 years, but all three of them were held by Amnesty International and released. So that's pretty cool. Um, and you can actually you can actually see the balloon today at the Haus der Berstein, if I'm pronouncing that right, Haus der Berstein. Sure. I'll museum in Bavaria. Um here's here's a fun side note. After the Berlin Wall came down and Germany was reunited, the Strelzics moved back home and the Wetzels stayed in Bavaria. Here's a wild, like, this is where my brain absolutely lost it, and I had to share the story. When you think of this story, what do does your brain automatically assume? Like, I feel like I've been rather vocal about the things that I would be going through my head. I mean to say, as in, like, okay, I'm just going to hit you with it. Strelzik died in 2017, and Wetzel is still alive today. No, Casey, now that, that does blow my brain. <laughs> Right. Because, I mean, (laughs) fun, crazy history is 300 years ago. Uh, Right. Without a doubt. If it's a great story, minimum 300 years ago. At least. Right. And so when when I made the correlation that my children were alive by the time these two corroborators were elderly, like I could not wrap my brain around that at all. Uh, if like, you're so curious, they could have attended like they 2017. What what is a notable event that happened in 2017? That is an excellent question. 2017. Um, were the Grammys good in 2017? I don't know. Let me let me look um, this up. World I mean, they movie. were alive to see Donald Trump get cor- uh, coronated. Oh my god! Wow. Inaugurated. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a lot of questions. Okay, so we'll we'll go with that because because I'm looking at World Events 2017 and and Trump pops up as the first. So they're sitting around watching him in front of a you know a, a backdrop of American flags, saying, "But we had 3.5 miles of threat." Yeah, Grandpa, we know, we know, <laughs> and your grandmother. Yeah, we 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 get this. We get this. Every Christmas, the story's the same. What's wild is knowing they could have been on an iPhone telling the story. Like, on FaceTime. Yeah. Right? 
like my brain could have been telling this on snapchat (laughs) right my brain was like what um if you want to know the ages of the children i do have that um the youngest was two and the oldest child was that i have noted for the age is 15 i think the 15 year old depending on the 15 year old could be trusted the two-year-old I mean, I'd make a point to maybe rub the whiskey on the gums. He's not teething. Just rub the whiskey on the gums. There's a five-year-old in the, in the mix, too. Five-year-olds are shifty from the start. <laughs> That's why I said it. Um, so, yeah, it's it's quite an adventure when you, when you think of it. And um, I learned, I wish, I had a map. I don't know what happened to my map, but I had, like, the I don't want to call it a demarcation zone, but the border zone is sixteen hundred feet wide, and they had to cross that on foot because in the first nice. attempt they only made it to the wall, right? So, anyway, like my brain was just there is so much going on here, but then to hear that like they were still alive while I was walking this earth, like. These are the stuff legends are made of. And they're yeah. just bricklayers and electricians. I don't know. Totally. Anyway, that was my story. I mean, and I love it. It just shows you that, you know, people rise to history. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like George Washington comes from this great lineage. I mean, he was just a schmuck. I mean, yes, he he did have, you know, he was of the upper crust, but he still was, you know, just He's a dude. Just a surveyor, just doing his job. Right. And things happened mm-hmm. so there okay. there's my there's my wild story for you i love it thank you for retelling <laughs> it to me because so much of it i clearly forgot imagine my delight when i opened my notes and that showed up and i was like hold on um, i gotta reach dive out in for this <laughs> okay sadness though that i lost my sources your sources and my map i had a map well, I mean, look, Angie, there's not a lot I expect from you, but this I do. <laughs> and I don't have a map. Thanks. <laughs> that, that you've lost your sources. <laughs> now I, I will have you know that they are now at the very top. <laughs> no, I know. Same, same. You know, in high school or college, the sources would be at the bottom and there would be little notations, you know, to see this source for that, you know, everything, yep. you know, MLA format. Um, okay. So... I've got a I've got a very fun, lighthearted romp. I'm really so the only way I can describe this. Um, I'm going to tell you about Clara, the 18th century rhinoceros who became a sensation. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Clara, the 18th century rhinoceros. Those are the words I, I mumbled okay. to you first. Okay, just making and sure I'm that- on the right track. That is actually the title of my first source. So Mental Floss has an article, Clara, the 18th century rhinoceros became a sensation by Allison C. Meyer. About SE11 has another one, Clara, the 20-year-old rhinoceros, or Clara, the 20-year-old rhino who died in a Lambeth pub. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> it's getting better and better with every word you say. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. I'm trying to get it together. And just the image. I am a very visual person, and I need you to see that I am seeing a precious rhinoceros at the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. Carry on. Okay. Um, Then I looked at some fun antique websites where I could see some very incredible things that I will never be able to afford that were inspired by this whole thing. Um, Barber.org.uk forward slash German dot dash school has another fun, you know, set of like images and things. Um, The, I am going to butcher this next one. Reichsmuseum. Oh, good. I feel better about butchering the name of the museum that my tent yeah, is held in. <laughs> yeah. um, they have a series, they have a whole uh, segment on the website for Claire the Rhinoceros. Um, as yeah. And then 10 things you need to know about Claire the Rhinoceros. Um, so allow me to just move forward, shall I? Please do. Born in 1738, Clara was only a month old when her mother was killed by hunters. The rhinoceros. We're talking about a a rhinoceros. Yeah, no, not (laughs) some incredibly tragic human, but a rhino. Okay. Okay. So, and that that would make a lot more sense because, I mean, maybe I I could, if you had to said that, you could have carried this further because my next sentence is orphaned. She was adopted by a high ranking official of the Dutch East India Company who kept her as a party amusement. All of these things would have worked for, for a human. This, yeah. yeah. I mean, this, you know, 1738, this could have been human. Um, allowing her to walk indoors and eat freely from the dinner table. Again, could have been human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he soon passes the juvenile animal to a colleague in the company, a Dutchman named Captain Duimont Vandermeer. Wow. That is likely not what his parents called him, though, because despite my best efforts, um, Captain Vandermeer, he sails for seven months with Clara from Calcutta to Rotterdam. With a baby rhino on the boat. With it, Yes. That eats from the table. Yeah. Does she have a bow? Unclear. She has a bow. She has a bow. She has a bow. You know what? For the for your for your telling for your yeah, she has a bow. Uh, It changes to to match whatever event we're going to. Yeah. Um, Now, small problem because you know there's a lot of time on the deck for her if she's ever let below deck. Um, There's a lot of sunshine uh, to keep her skin from drying out. They first off, there there's no zookeepers, right? There's no trained zoologists that are walking around coming up with well here's the the care regimen there's no <laughs> wiki how on this yeah should there's no mud puddles for her to roll around in so to keep her skin from drying out they come up with like they're making it up as they go just like any parent so they're using fish oil and slathering that all over her hide oh okay it works apparently um but i mean i can only imagine the smell because if you take the fish oil tablets and you don't maybe invest in the higher highest end ones and you you do the little burpees you get the little tuna after mm. um but he ends up feeding her what he estimates 
Now, mind you, they have to bring all of this on the boat, right? Like before yeah, you leave, you've got to pick all of this up. Stops. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they're bringing her what they imagine to be about 150 pounds of vegetable matter a day. For six months? Seven. Sorry. Cool. Seven months. Okay. So they they planned ahead. Good for them. Um, her arrival in Rotterdam causes quite a stir and she becomes an instant attraction. Vandermeer, he sees this as a business opportunity. He's going to serve as Claire's promoter, agent, and manager for what will end up being her 17-year European romp. I love her so much. <laughs> it, she lives until 1758 at the age of 20, where she passes away at a pub in Lambeth. So now we're going to get through the whole, everything in between those two statements. When Clara first gets there, she, you know, first tours to Germany, Austria, France, Italy, Poland, Denmark, England. She goes to England like three times in her life. So this rhino is very well-traveled. Do you have a passport? I'd un, I'm not sure if you necessarily <laughs> needed one in those times. If it was, it would be much easier to forge. Just imagining the passport office taking her picture. Could you imagine? Do you have anything to declare in customs? <laughs> 600 pounds of vegetables, ma'am. Yeah, pretty much. And you, you might notice the rhino. The what? <laughs> it's, uh, it can fly. <laughs> so we bought sure- a seat. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> it's not going to fit underneath the seat in front of me. Trust me, this this is going to need its own. Um, so whenever they travel overland, Claire rides in a custom-built carriage, which requires... Okay, so some sources, there's there's some discrepancy here. Some sources say it requires six pairs of oxen or 20 horses to draw it. <laughs> Others claim it's like eight horses. So I don't know, maybe different stages of her life required different amounts of animals, but an impressive amount of animals. And like the carriage had to be like reinforced from a dozen different angles by a dozen different high-end craftsmen. But sometimes over super difficult terrain, Clara needed to walk and she had to be tempted forward by oranges. (laughs) I love her. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Um, By age eight, she weighed nearly 5,000 pounds. Five thousand, and and this is just a giant lap dog. Yeah, that for the first three years of her life just wandered around the coffee table. <laughs> so many cow. And like one of the things I I read talked about how she was tempted and like given like little sips of beer and things like that. Like Cute. she. Yeah, so you know, imagine big rhino or big rhino bow, drinking mm-hmm. a beer, drinking and her the amber box, loving her. Yep. So she becomes like one of these most sought guests in European society. She has private audiences with King Frederick II of Prussia in Berlin, <gasps> Francis I and Empress Maria Theresa in Vienna. Hold up, King Frederick II, the Potato King. Yes. <laughs> your potato Love your this. precious potato king got to meet clara i'm so jealous face to face. 
uh, Francis I, Empress Maria Theresa in Vienna, King Louis XV in Versailles, Augustus III, the Elector of Saxony and King of Poland, Frederick II, Landgrave of Hesse. My goodness. So she has quite the autograph book. Exactly. Or maybe we should make it that um, they have her autograph. I mean, because really, she is clearly the star here. Yeah, you know, they flock to her. She goes to their town, they go to her. Yeah, that works. I'm assuming, right? Like, maybe. I don't don't know. I've never had to bring, I've never had to entertain a rhino. I feel like King Louis led her into Versailles. No questions asked. Yeah, come this way. Come this way. <laughs> I that was I don't even know what accent that was supposed to be, but it clearly wasn't accurate. So moving right along. Um <laughs> so one of the crazy things about her is nobody's allowed to see Clara while she's being transported because Vandermeer is a businessman. And if you want to see her, you had to buy a ticket. Of course. So well done there. Could you imagine? I'm sorry to interrupt, but this this visual just came to my brain. Could you imagine t- walking your child like to the grocery or wherever, and they, out of the corner of their eye, have seen her in her carriage, mm. like you know the drapes moved or something, and not believing them as they're like trying to explain to you the rhinoceros they just saw. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I I would not. There's absolutely no way there because how many times has your kid said the most out of pocket thing? And you are like looking at them. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm seeing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, you, you don't make up things. So what? Oh, it was a rhino. <laughs> right. Or whatever they assumed, you know, it was because who knows, right? Like, you know, like parents yeah. are going to be like, what, what, what is a rhinoceros? Like, can you explain this to me? Can you draw it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if drawing it would be even better. You know what I mean? <laughs> It'd be Probably like you, be worse. You're only picking up the gray crayon and you're drawing a bus. I don't even know what a bus is. That's it's true. 1735. That's very anachronistic. <laughs> um, so Clara's owner, Captain Mount, he makes advertisements to get people to come see her. And the advertisements I wanted, I, I would love to have a copy of because they, they posters talk about the great size and weight of this natural wonder. And then they describe how much she eats and drinks every day. It's <laughs> no fewer than 30 kilograms of hay, 10 kilos of bread, 14 buckets of water. Oh. Because there's bakeries in the wild. Mm-hmm. Across the savannah, you can go into a pastry and then, like, just get, like, yeah. you know, three five-gallon buckets of croissants. You didn't know that? <clears throat> David Attenborough never covered it in what I was watching. <laughs> Snoop Dogg does. Snoop Dogg would. That was probably his <laughs> best side quest he's ever done. I um, agree. So, in 1742... Clara came to Leiden in the Netherlands, and a zoology student named Petrus Camper visited her regularly to look at her. And this was cute. I like, I went, because this didn't seem like maybe because he's a zoology student, he had better access. But like when I go to a zoo to see animals, I don't get to do things like feed the cool exotic animals carrots from my hand right into their open little mouths. And then he 
it like the article talks about how he was fascinated by her overhanging upper lip and that upper lip is kind of prehensile so they can use it to kind of grab which i didn't know okay like i didn't fully get until i was like you know invested in learning this yeah i didn't know that either yeah okay so cute. that that overhang of a lip has a bit more utility than that's cute isn't that compliments the bow um so January 1749, she travels to France where Claramania takes over. And the <laughs> French, look at Louis, Louis the 15th, he places her in his royal menagerie in France or in Versailles. Um, she spends five months in Paris and she's creating an absolute sensation. Letters, poems, songs are all written about her. Mm-hmm. And apparently there were wigs and a hairstyle created called a la rhinoceros, however you say (laughs) rhinoceros in French. Um, And that's basically like the really big bouffant with like kind of big ribbons kind of coming down. I I don't know if they saw the rhinoceros to come up with this because I don't feel like it conjures the rhinoceros thing, you know. Um, Okay, yeah. Let me actually, I'll, so that (laughs) is, that is the, a la rhinoceros i mean yeah i'm i'm seeing it yeah the ginormous two and a half foot tall hair with the fed the ostrich feathers and the giant ribbons and bows and what is that a some type of delicate chain going from one flower to the other yeah i mean it's very it's very marie antoinette it is but i i get no rhinoceros vibes none whatsoever listen the french are just always looking for something to update and they probably uh, had that one in the wings like we just need something to call this we'll wait for the next thing it it could have been ostrich but it was rhinoceros so here we are yeah um so in later that year there is a french painter john batiste audrey he paints a life-size portrait of her and that is at the Saint Germain Fair in Paris. She looks so real, like you could almost touch her. And she is as like as painted, it's life size. So it's as tall as, you know, the visitors who came to see her. And the picture showed Clara when she was seven or eleven years old, three point six meters long and one point seven meters tall. And she wasn't oh. quite fully adult, so she was only two thousand five hundred pounds. Oh my gosh, that's only that she's such a big girl. And then let me show you this picture since I I have it on my screen. (laughs) I love her. I mean, it is a rhinoceros. It is when you think of a rhinoceros, this is what you think of. And to see a painting, any painting, could be of a birthday cake that big. You're going to be like, that is a big painting. Yeah. You said three and a half meters long? Three and a half meters. Yeah, long. Yeah. That's crazy. She's huge. She's mm-hmm. so cute. I want to scratch her little chin. Right? And her little lip that you know comes out and grabs the things. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that image, that painting that I just showed you, gets displayed at the Louvre at the Salon Expedition in Paris in nineteen or in seventeen fifty. And the official biennial exhibition of the French Royal Academy in painting and sculpture. Um, Clara's popularity and success of the tour were extraordinary and bordered on frenzy. (laughs) 
uh, Beatles here. The, the, yeah, the, the, the precursor, you know, this really taught us how to do things. Um, there was a huge merch lineup that began as a result of her <laughs> and a fashion of rhinoceros ornaments began. Okay. So like you name whatever rhinoceros merch basically it existed and it was there yeah <laughs> i love that and they had different tiers of merch so that regardless of your social economic station you could leave with a piece of merch that's adorable isn't it and it just Thank shows france capitalism at its finest right um Clara's tours throughout Europe also provided scientists and natural philosophers with an accurate model of the species. Yeah, because this is like trying to draw something without ever having actually seen one. Right. Like if your son just opened up a, a book and he goes, okay, I'm going to describe an animal. You get to draw it. Yep. But he never tells you what it is. Like, good freaking luck. You need to have some kind of mind meld because unless he says it's got a long, long neck with yeah. big orange or brown splotches you're not going to draw a giraffe nope you're sure going to try though you're going to draw something and then he's you guys are going to both going to do the picture reveal and cackle <laughs> your butts off mm -hmm. yeah so clara appeals appeals she doesn't appeal anything she's not on trial she appears <laughs> in two seminal publishing projects of the enlightenment period um, she appears in a 36-volume History Naturale and a 17-volume, basically, encyclopedia. Um, but still, freaking exciting that she contributed to the body of knowledge that we had at the time during the Enlightenment, yeah. right? I love that. So the end of 1749, she moves from Marseille to tour Italy, and she passes through Verona and she returned to Vienna and reached London at the end of this year where she was admired by the British royal family. <laughs> and we don't have a lot of information on what happens to her from 1752 to 1758. Um, we, we say that we don't, but we know that she went to Prague, Warsaw, Krakow, and then returned to Breslau in 1754 and then Copenhagen in 1755. Okay. So she was moving. She was doing things. She was on a tour. Yeah. And then um, she returns back to London in 1758, where she ends up being at the pub that starts off at the beginning of the story that she passes <laughs> away at. Um, but we don't know much about like how she there. Basically, it's like she died. It's not like there's national mourning or anything like that. Like it just kind of happens without much fanfare. Um, Bad. Which, yeah, it is kind of like eh, no splash, very anticlimactic. But Captain Vandermeer, he makes a small fortune from his travels. Um, and so did basically anybody who engaged in the Clara souvenirs. And he would make more money by selling rhino illustrations to those who had been doing viewings, right? So he would sell woodcuts to the poorer class and then engraving to the bourgeoisie. Okay. So like, again, different levels of merge depending on what you could afford. And everywhere there were mementos of her unique presence. There were medals that were struck and portraits that were painted. Hmm. There were like straight up nice, fine serving platters for your china 
that look like they belong as you think of them. And then there's a rhino in the middle and you're like, wait, what, what am I looking at? Like the <laughs> rhino just doesn't, doesn't click. Um, so there were statues made of her in marble and in bronze craftsmen made pendule a la rhinoceros. Um, there were these, let me see if I can find it. There were incredible clocks that were made that they are, you don't even know. You don't even know. I will let Wait, you. Is the hippo that kiddo made me read to her like three times when I came to visit, is her name Claire too? I think so. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So here is the. Oh, clock. wow. Okay. So, um,. I don't even know where to begin with it. It's got the like, that's not okay, so. Patina, it's done in the but... Baroque, yeah, fr- French Baroque fashion. You know, so we imagine super the gaudy. big, yeah, very yeah. ornate. Um, um it, it's got the gold gilding all over it. I love that she separates the base from the actual face of the clock, and she mm-hmm. is the bronze color, whereas everything else is that bright gold. She really it makes her stand out so much. Yeah, so we have like, I'll start from the top, work my way down. There's like a cherub figure on top of the clock, flowers cascading down the sides, the clock face. The clock face is mounted on her back and she is this big black rhinoceros and she is standing on this gilded top of like a music box looking thing. And the music box is almost the Tiffany blue covered in the same gilding. That clock stands at, 36 inches. Yeah. That is wild. That is I like so that you wild. took the time to convert that from the 92 centimeters you see on the screen. I had to know. Um, I was like, wait a minute. I know 92 centimeters is not what I think it is because centimeters kind of confused me. So I had to do a conversion to, to find out. Do you want to go straight to feet since you already got the number pulled up on your phone? Three feet. That's, yeah, basically that clock's as tall as a kindergartner. (laughs) It is as tall as a kindergartner. You're right. (laughs) Um, But I I just, I really enjoyed all of this. Oh, and here is this, this painting just got me. Um, This is a painting of her (laughs) as a wee one, right? So this is when... She was just a a little one. Um, It's in her first years. I love that the caption refers to her affectionately as Miss Claire. And and Miss Clara, but it was the only time we get her name used in recorded history. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, this is, this is the, um, this one right here was done. I think I confused two different notes. Um, So ignore this note here that talks about her as Miss Clara. I put that in the wrong spot. Um, But the zoologist who went to the zoo to feed her carrots, Mm -hmm. he did this drawing. It's remarkable. Yeah. She's so cute with her little floppy ears. Yep. (laughs) Oh, I love her so much. But that is... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's the story of Clara the Rhinoceros. 
I love Claire the Rhinoceros, and I love so much that these big lady animals have a heart. The hippo, the rhinoceros. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it, right? Like, we were still, like, there's still so many animals we don't know exist that we find new things every year. Um, and yeah. so, but you, we don't, we're running out of big things. But to have a big thing, right? Like, that was why the circus was so big for our parents' generation. Because that was maybe the first time they've ever seen a tiger or a whatever they had access to at that circus. So you think about hundreds of years prior to that. Yeah. You know, this was the fifth rhinoceros that was that made it to Europe, period. That's crazy. And yeah, so the- that is very much like, can you draw this? Yeah. <laughs> and like one of the things... There was a rhinoceros that made it to Europe in like the 1500s or something. Um, Or at least a drawing of it did. And it was circulated for the longest time. And it was done almost like you describe a rhinoceros to someone who's never seen it. And they're the artist in the family. Mm -hmm. And that's what circulated completely, you know, out of whack. Um, But that was still in circulation, I think, even when she was touring. That's crazy. Just because, like, well, that that's a rhinoceros because this is what we've seen as a rhinoceros for years. So, like, that's if aliens actually showed up, they're not going <laughs> to be the little grays that we've got on our t-shirts. Yes, they are. <laughs> Whatever. What do we know? Absolutely nothing. I, I feel like this podcast has demonstrated that. <laughs> we know a lot of random things true like we will win that category of jeopardy yeah facts you found in the closet for a hundred alex <laughs> wikipedia 2.0 please <laughs> <laughs> i'll take the random fact that happened on history in this day for 600 1066 <laughs> battle of hastings <laughs> Should it not have been so that much. quick? <laughs> I love you so much. I really only know that because of Helen Duncan, the last witch. That... <laughs> that's that's See? really the only reason. That's my case in point, though, right there. We know a lot of random things and how random the world is together because of our podcast. You're not wrong. Like, you had trouble pronouncing a museum name, and I was like, ah, I'm going to butcher one. Hold my beer. I need to hold this. (laughs) You brought up my potato king. You're very true. I did bring up your potato king. And now that you mention it, I'm a little put off that you didn't bring up the rhinoceros that he met. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it wasn't about the rhinoceros this time. It was about potatoes. (laughs) It should have been about the rhinoceros when in doubt. I mean, always the rhinoceros. Potatoes seem like the safe default, but. Everybody likes potatoes, but then I've never met anybody that didn't like a rhinoceros either. So I know. It's got to be one or the other, you know. So if you enjoy potatoes (laughs) and rhinoceros and you can't wait to hear what we bring next week. Then stay tuned. And I will let you know that both Angie and I off air had this crazy conversation where we both said separately to our spouses 
oh, this thing happens on December 17th and our episode will air December 16th. We've got to pocket this story so we can tell the other one. And we're hoping like hell that we're finally not going to tell the same story. I have been informed we are not, and I am dying to know if we really are, if he's fooling us both. <laughs> so if you've got guesses, pull up a list on things that happened December 17th and cast your bets. Mm-hmm. We're here for it. We want to hear what you think we think. <laughs> Honestly, we just want to hear if you think we think anything. <laughs> so there's that. There is that. And, uh, yeah. And on that note, goodbye. Bye.